What's interesting about crying is that it does very similar things as laughing does. So it decreases stress hormones, it increases endorphins, it increases oxytocin, sort of the relaxation hormone, and that's what's really interesting. Welcome to Wellness Within. We would like to thank UC Davis Health, Elizabeth A. Harmon General Dentistry, and Columbia Bank, who in part sponsor this podcast. Join us for relaxing meditations and enlivening conversations about topics that support wellness in the presence of cancer. To access our class schedule, to make a donation, or to sign up for our newsletter, please visit wellnesswithin.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wellness Within's podcast. It was a year ago, Dr. Cynthia Lee and I did a very rich podcast conversation about her personal journey with Qigong and its deep healing. And today, I am honored that she agreed to talk with me again, but this time, we're going to talk about grief. All right, a little bit about Cynthia, and if you didn't catch our podcast last year together, Dr. Cynthia Lee is a doctor and author whose personal healing journey through a disabling autoimmune condition took her from public health in underserved populations to integrative and functional medicine. Her personal health challenges began in 2005, and they expanded beyond her conventional training. She has studied and practiced with functional medicine experts, environmental health scientists, acupuncturists, Qigong masters, and alternative healers, weaving together cutting-edge science and ancient healing arts. Currently, she has a private practice in Berkeley, California, and serves as faculty for the Healers Art Program at the University of California, San Francisco Medical School. And after becoming an anchor for Awaken Calls, a podcast that I recommend everyone to check out, podcast of the global all-volunteer-run service-based community of 2 million-plus she modeled her clinical services on the gift economy, where patients contribute into a community fund according to their abilities, giving and receiving from each other based on trust. Wow. So welcome, Dr. Cynthia Lee. I really appreciate you saying yes again to have this conversation today about a topic that's near and dear to both of us. Thank you so much, Patty. It's wonderful to be here. So let's start. I was just love your book. I mean, that was what drew me in last year to have the conversation, uh, Brave New Medicine. I, I felt as I was reading the book that there were periods of time where grief was changing and shifting to different things that you were grieving about. Obviously, illness, um, the loss of a loved one, ancestral. I mean, there was there were several different ways in which as you were walking this journey that you were introduced to different kinds of grief. Is that a good way to say it, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, grief, I think, is something that all of us live with, but we don't really, as a Western culture anyways, talk about it. We don't even like to name it, much less face it, and how do we actually move into it? So that's actually what I did, you know, for most of my younger life. I had, I would say, you know, in hindsight, I experienced a lot of grief when I was younger. The grief therapist that I write about, that I eventually come to in my own healing journey, in my book, named, named Francis Weller, he uh, talks about five different kinds of grief. You know, one of them being the parts of us that never received love or the shadows. You know, whether we sort of shame ourselves, you know, those parts out of ourselves or other people make us feel like those parts are not 
accepted. So I would say in my childhood, probably a lot of that. Uh, another kind of grief he talks about is the things that we expected and did not receive. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do we, yeah, and, and that's a little bit subtler because it's the absence of something. Right. And yet it's something that we as spirited bodies actually experience also as a loss. Um, And then when I was in my medical training, I fell deeply in love and I was with a wonderful man, big spirited, you know, big souled man uh, who I was with for six years. We were engaged. And when I was a an intern, he was in a fatal car accident. Mm. And so that was, of course, a very, very formative experience of loss. And I will say it also came at a time, one of the things, his name was Kurt. And one of the things that Kurt and I shared were these big existential questions about Mm. life, death, and what happens after somebody dies, you know, he was raised, he was raised Catholic, I was raised evangelical, Uh, both of us raised in Texas, we both had deep struggles with the teachings that we, you know, that our particular Mm -hmm. tradition had around, not just death, but actually about grief, you know, when people die, it's like, oh, actually, you celebrate, you celebrate because they've gone on to a better place. Yeah, right. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of that. Um, uh, so I would say that, yeah, early on, those were the big factors that, that shaped my my life in terms of grief. When you say that back then, what was that process like for you when you were grieving the loss of Kurt? Well, so when Kurt died... I do remember there was probably a week or so where I was just, I was just crying nonstop, you know, not sleeping, crying nonstop. There was a really big funeral a week after, a week or so after he died. And, you know, it was almost like the entire medical center, you know, the community came out. His parents, of course, and his family were there. And it was a really, it was intense I would say there was a certain catharsis to it. It was just uninhibited release. But then like that was kind of it, you know, and and then it was time for me to go back to residency. Like, oh, I'd taken a week off and, you know, my fellow teammates were, they were pulling, you know, double shifts to cover me. I mean, it's a very tough time to, to grieve something like that. And also I was very young and most people, when I sought wisdom from other people or guidance, they said, you know, it's good for you to just get back to your life. You know, it's good for you. Like, don't fall into dis- depression and despair. Just go on living your life and, and live for Kurt, you know? So, I mean, I heard there were a lot of positive messages, but at the same time, uh, my life was 80 to 90 hour work weeks and taking care of people who were living and dying. And it really, oh my gosh. So it was, it wasn't sort of a normal, you know, I mean, if there was a normal life, but it wasn't an average life to go back to. So all of that grief, I would say, I thought I had processed it. You know, I thought I had released it after a week of intensity Uh like that. And then uh, I just kind of carried on. It wasn't until I finished residency, you know, the intensity of residency, uh, that I, I actually felt a little bit lost. I realized I felt lost 
when I was trying to decide what to do after residency. You know, most of my colleagues and friends had plans. I mean, they, they knew they were going to fellowship at some particular place. They knew they were going to have some appointment at another place or they're going, they were moving back to family or, you know, mm -hmm. hometown. I didn't really know where I was going. And so I randomly picked uh, San Francisco because it was just a city I had wanted to live in for a while. And I was very comforted by the anonymity of it because I didn't know anyone in San Francisco. And so nobody knew my history. Nobody knew my grief. Oh, wow. I was mm -hmm. just sort of approached like an average 29-year-old. Mm. So there was some relief in that, but there was also a real detachment. That's, I think, when the depression kind of hit. And it wasn't overt depression for me. It was more dysthymia. You know, I was just kind of numb. So, you know, depression, despair, I think it can manifest in really different ways for people. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've also learned about grief is grief manifests and express very, expresses very, very differently for people. Right. I often hear in all the years I've done grief work phrases like, well, I've moved through it or I'm on the other side of it or I can't cry anymore. So what's left or, 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 I mean, it's just, it's interesting because my own personal biases, it changes, but it never really goes fully away. There's a lot of depth and width to grief when we really drop into it. But yes. it's scary for a lot of people. Yes. Did you experience any of that? Any trepidation or fear or anxiety around when you started to realize that you were dropping into your grief a little more and understanding it, how big it was in you? At that time when I was 29 and I was in a new city, a new place, I didn't, it didn't feel overwhelming to me. I did I don't even know if I knew at the time that I was kind of Yeah. You know, because when you're young also and you have your whole life ahead of you. Yep. It's it's a little bit of a different place. And it's all like and I actually had a hard time if I was reaching out to someone, I had a hard time even finding peers who actually understood. Sure. But you know, one of the things about well, so grief actually comes from the Latin root, uh gravis. It's the same root as um gravitas, as gravity, as grave, you know, meaning serious, I would say there was a heaviness to me. Mm -hmm. And then grieving, you know, which is this process that I've now learned is so natural. I mean, yes. and what's really interesting, so I would say grieving, the way I define it is, is the moving into the heaviness and then releasing something or transforming something into mm. an a lightness, you know? So we're, mm -hmm. it's just like day going into night, night going into day, just the heaviness and the lightness are both facets, embodied experiences of being human. And in our Western culture, we are very much, you know, we're sun worshipers, <laughs> we're about happiness, we're about right. forward thinking and moving. Grieving requires actually a stillness. It requires us to pause. And it does actually in our culture, it, it asks us to be with experiences that we're not comfortable with. I mean, in medicine, I mean, this is what we do is if you have pain, we give you painkillers. Right. If you have depression, we give you antidepressants. If you have anxiety, we give you anti-anxiety meds. So we're, we're very much kind of anti these things. Yet a lot of them are just our body naturally moving through the process. And so one of the things, you know, I often tell people is that our bodies are in constant motion of 
emptying and filling, right? So we eat and we have to, we have to poop. Even organs that seem solid to us, like bones, they're about 20 to 30% water and they are constantly breaking down and building up. If we stopped doing that, we would cease to be living. Right. So to experience joy and gratitude and happiness and all these, these feel good feelings that we like to feel and not to grieve or move into sorrow or move into even stillness is like eating, eating, eating and stuffing ourselves and then not pooping. Oh, wow. That's a great analogy. It's very similar to that. Yeah. And I, I mean, I say Western, but I would say modern Western culture, because even our, even the Western, the ancient Westerners, like the Greeks, what they would go to these tragic plays and, you know, catharsis was yes, yes. part of their culture, right? They had different ways to do it. Um, right. Indigenous cultures have built in, you know, regular grief rituals. And it was, it was seen not just as normal to grieve, but healthy and just part of the cycle of life. So one of the, I think the biggest learnings for me was to separate out suffering and grieving. Now, usually they're so interwoven. And in fact, yeah. if you, I looked in the dictionary just before this call, because I was trying to remember, how, do we, how does the dictionary even define grief? Mm -hmm. And one of the definitions is mental suffering. So we have equated grieving with, I'll say, this release, this catharsis and crying, which are right. neutral or even positive that we would call positive with suffering. And so if we can begin to actually just separate those, those are very different things. Depression and our inability to accept what has happened, what the loss is, right. that, that is suffering. But can we just allow ourselves to move into that grief and just release it, you know, fully in our bodies? A natural rhythm of, yes. okay, yeah, I just, when you said that, I was just thinking about the waves, you know, and just that the rhythm of that. Yeah. When you got your illness and you're autoimmune, there was a lot of grief in that. At what point did you notice that there was all this grieving also happening? As we're living our lives, it's hard to see ourselves unless we have a very regular practice, a meditative practice or some other practice. You know, I know writers too, you know, where they're observing themselves. But I was just trying to get through each day. And for those who haven't read my book or weren't on the previous podcast, it was, I mean, I was really debilitated, housebound for a couple of years and then largely housebound for over a decade or close to a decade. So it, there was a lot of grief. There was a lot of loss. There was also a lot of, so one other kind of grief that Francis Weller talks about is the sorrows of the world, right? So right. then meanwhile, it just everything on the world stage is amplifying, right? The environmental yeah. losses, the injustices, the violence. I mean, you yes, name it, yes. it, was, it just felt like it was going on. So particularly for people with sensitive constitutions, it's almost like we don't even know how to, what do you do with that? How do you hold that? Yeah. And that, that's another piece that I really began to explore because so much of our experiences and our cultures are shaped by language. So one of the things we say, well, oh, I can hold that. Oh, what can the relationship hold? What can you hold, you know, you know, in healthcare, in any kind of healing arts, 
I mean, we are asked to hold the grief. Yes. The patience of the world, basically. So burnout, you know, um, dysthymia, depression. I mean, it's it's rampant, right? Amongst Oh my gosh, yes. And healers too. Like people who are in what we call more alternative healing practices. It's the same thing. It's just a different paradigm. And so it's not about holding. Like when we are holding something physically, there's a limit, right? Our body tells us, oh, there's no way I can hold that. It's just too heavy. But with our mind, we think we can hold the whole world. And it actually translates to our bodies. So we're holding all this grief and a much better and truer and aligned way to actually to understand grief is what are we present with? What are we witnessing as mm-hmm. opposed to holding? Because it's actually the witnessing, A, that so we're not holding it with our bodies or in our bodies. But B, it's the witnessing of that without judgment, without trying to soothe, without trying to fix, that actually allows for the griever to begin transforming and find out whatever you call that stuck grief, that the heaviness yeah. begins to move. It's the flow that is really what what leads to health and healing. I love the way you describe that. At what point would you take a, a sample maybe of how you were yeah. recognizing that, the holding part of it and how allowing and letting releasing? When did that, you know, I don't say the exact time, but you know, what what, what was that shift? Like it was very didactic for me, right? Because I still had my doctor's hat on. I was still right. and solve the situation. And uh, when I understood, you know, these patterns of oh, filling and emptying, filling and emptying in the body, and this was when I had also come into integrative and functional medicine. Functional medicine really looking at root causes, and one of the modalities in functional medicine which was new to me as a conventionally trained doctor, was the notion of detoxes and cleanses. You know, I'd heard of them in kind of alternative circles, but, you know, never really thought anything of it. And then I realized, oh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, the body too. Like if we are generating too much waste, metabolic waste, or we're absorbing chemicals, you know, from the environment that aren't healthy, that our our detox systems actually can get overloaded. Or if we're not exercising, for example, right? I'm largely incapacitated with fatigue. I'm not getting a lot of movement in. Well, Mm -hmm. circulation, sweating, breathing, like those are all ways that we detox as well. Uh, But the liver is the primary detox organ. And if it is overly worked, it's just not as efficient anymore. Or if I'm not giving my body, my liver in this case, key nutrients that I might be deficient in. A lot of those enzymes aren't working optimally. So, oh, you know, you can do cleanses, you can take vitamins, you can change your diet to help facilitate the detox of your Mm. body. So it's not just about keeping, you know, stuff out. It's, oh, you can actually prime your system. You can love your system and be able to release things that aren't serving your highest and best interest anymore. It's not serving your your healing. So when I began to understand that as part of the emptying and filling the, the healing process, you know, there was just a certain point where 
I don't even know what it was, but I just realized that some of the weight, the heaviness of the grief, right, that I was feeling was certainly emotional and spiritual. And another piece about grief is that there's sorrow, but then there's also trauma. We mix those together too, right? So like there was deep sorrow, for example, with Kurt, with the loss of him in my life and the loss of him in my future, but there was a trauma to it due to the suddenness and the the accident and all of that. So there are often multiple things going on that we kind of just lump together as grief. Then we kind of equate grief with trauma. We equate grief with suffering, as we talked about, and grief with depression or despair. Yeah. Yeah. All of those are kind of different layers or different dimensions, but that grieving itself has a quite very pure process and natural process. Then I began to realize, oh God, I got to detox my soul. You know, that's what I called it. It's not my body, but it's my soul. And my doctor's way of understanding that was that through the science of epigenetics, right, we know that what we think and eat and experience affects the ways that our genes are turning on and off. And so I began to think of the, and also the way that our, our, um, our neurons are wired and our, our neurons are directly connected with our immune system, with the hormone system. So, yeah, so we know, you know what, grieving, especially if people are stuck in grief for a long, long time, right, that it increases inflammation, it, it increases stress hormones, it de- depresses the immune system. I mean, you know, somebody appears like they're chronically ill or under chronic stress. What's interesting about grieving or crying is that it does very similar things as laughing does. So it decreases stress hormones, it increases endorphins, it increases oxytocin, sort of the relaxation hormone. And that's what's really interesting, you know? I don't, I'm so happy you said that because I don't think people recognize that there's such a I don't even know what it is you know a thing about she cries she's still crying and it's six months later she's crying and it's two years because something came up to remind her of or him of x that person you know and it's like well that's kind of the movement that we're talking about and I don't know why we get so afraid of that our own helplessness I would suppose you know like I don't know what to do and you're crying and or even our own definition of the is is it weak to cry be strong you know what is that i would totally agree with all of those and uh, so there is the helplessness and i think that's what's challenging it's so contrary to how we are taught to respond when somebody's crying is to just simply be a witness be yes. a living witness and let them get it out I mean, this actually, this, when I learned this, it changed the way I parented, you know, it's one thing if my kids were having, te- you know, temper tantrums, like in a public place and it was very disrupted, but like, if we were on a playground, if we were in our house, even if we were at some friend's house, I would just hold them and let them cry it out mm-hmm. and they kind of get it out. Right. And mm-hmm. I hold them. I love them. And then they're they're good to go. And that's what kids do. And I would say, Patty, probably from my my personal experience, but also just observing now and being with others who are grieving, I think there's a deeper fear 
with crying. And it's because, again, we've, we, we don't understand how to respond. And therefore, somebody who's chronically crying and chronically attached to their loss, they actually become, they do become depressed. They become yeah. depressed. So that's right. the fear, I would say, is there's a fear of feeling that, first of all, right? Confronting the darkness or what mm-hmm. we call the darkness and confronting discomfort and just being a witness to that. And then the other piece is the potential for depression and despair. And that was one of the key points that I learned from going to the grief ritual with Francis Weller. Oh, so ultimately I ended up going to a grief ritual, right, led by this grief therapist. And ritual is very different than than like a grief group where you talk about it. Right. Because again, because of what I just mentioned, there's a potential to identify with the grief and to identify with the loss. And then you're really stuck. So the anything that's a ritual, and I will add Qigong for me is that too. So anything that that enlists the body, so it's a full mind, body, spirit experience can really help mobilize and transform the grief and help us actually to move into it as well. So that we're not afraid, oh, you know what, there's been this ritual and it's been practiced over and over and over again for millennia, you know, by different traditions, by different people, maybe even my direct ancestors. And so it is, there's a tried and true sort of trust that you can kind of relax into. Um, And the other piece is that the relaxing into is actually a lap. It really is a metaphorical lap, right? So if you watch kids, right, oftentimes if they fall or they get in a fight with somebody or whatever, they often kind of hold it together. It's just kind of a social thing. They hold it together the way we adults hold our grief, you know, together. And then as soon as somebody says, oh, are you okay? Or there's a lap or a hug, they let it cry. Yeah, they yeah, let the anger yeah. come or they let the anger, they, they just release it. But it's, it requires a lap. It requires a holding. And this is where we hold each other. We don't yeah. hold the grief. We physically hold each other. Yeah. So that in the grief ritual, there was this whole, we actually, we served as the community for each other was, you know, somebody goes up to the altar and they would grieve and grieve and grieve and all this stuff would come out. There was music, there was drumming. So vibration is another tool that can help release and kind of mobilize uh, grief that is really stuck deep in the cells, deep in the way that the DNA is folded, deep in the way the neurons are wired. It's a full on, you know, body, mind, spirit experience. Then there's also a holding. The, the rest of the people who are at the ritual were holding each other, you know, because like your grief, for example, is really, really different than mine. And there's a distance to it. And so therefore I can actually, I can be, I can, I can hug you. I can embrace you. Yeah. I'm not going to lose myself to the same grief as yours. Right. Yeah. That's important too. Is Absolutely. that oftentimes we're crying to people, me crying to Kurt's parents there's a there's an empathy and a and a compassion for each other, but we can't sort of hold each other because we're all in it. So yeah, we yeah. need people that are like one, two, three steps removed who yeah. can be that objective witness and not sort of succumb to the grief. Uh, you know, I will say, having done grief work as long as I have, I find it hard. Maybe it was because of where I I was living for many years, but. 
it's hard to find places or offerings that you can do that and find that. I mean, I know that you did when you went, um, at least you talked about in your book about going up to Francis Weller's workshop, but things like that are hard to find. I'm I mean, imagining our listeners right now going like, where do I go find that? Where is that? You know, because it's hard. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the resources that I do share in my book are just two really simple grief rituals that people can do in their homes. I mean, so one of them is actually inviting, right, some friends who are one, two, or three removed, you know, from the particular situation that you want to grieve. Or maybe it's not even one situation. Oftentimes grief is just all of it comes out, right? You think you might be grieving. I might, I went to that grief ritual thinking I was kind of grieving, you know, my illness and what I had lost through that. But then all this stuff comes out, right? So yeah. It's not, it doesn't matter actually what it is, mm -hmm. but an easier thing is to also then you can even do it by yourself is to uh, dig a hole into the earth, right? Somewhere where you have some privacy, where you have, where you feel safe and you just cry your tears into the, or, you know, if there, if there are tears, but if there are no tears, you still, you cry your grief, you scream it into the earth and mother earth is literally the container and then what's beautiful about that is you can throw in you know leaves and twigs and anything you know even an apple or whatever you want to bring into that and they your grief is composting so mother earth is transforming the the tears right and, and holding it and making use of it absolutely i love that so okay, that's one yeah and sometimes it's hard for people to be able to arrive at that place yeah you know when they're by themselves but if you are feeling acutely you know in that acute situation and the tears are just coming and you feel like you you know have so much so much crying that you don't even know what to do with it like that's a really good one to do um, because it will just come you know by that point you're already free flowing like you just just go find a place and you don't even, the, literally, yeah, the trees, the birds, all those, you know, elements of nature are your witness. Yeah. Um, and so what's important about the, the feeling the ground, like in that particular ritual, or the lap, like I talked about, is that there is a bottom. When we fall, you know, we literally call it, we, we say falling into despair, we fall into depression. It's a free fall, and it feels like there's no bottom. That's why we get despairing it we just keep free falling so mm -hmm. we're talking about people who kind of are crying you know it's been six months it's been a year some of it is just that yeah waves are coming there was a particular trigger and grieving is not linear right so it's just coming up but if someone is stuck in that process that's when we you know we we can begin to be alerted like oh wait a minute there's no bottom for that person Mm -hmm. That person needs a lap. That person needs a container. And what are some ways in which we can help that person or direct that person to a container that feels right for, for him or her? That's very powerful. And I would say to our listeners too, is if you don't have grass or dirt in your backyard, to go find it. Go, go into the trees, go on a path, go to the beach. You know, I think it's... There's no reason why, there's nothing that should stop you from finding some place and dig into the earth. Yes. I love and, that. You know, and to your earlier point, it is very difficult. It's very, uh, it's not common to find grief rituals that take place. And, yeah. you know, and there's a real 
skill to doing them well. One of the ways that I have actually been able to more in just ordinary daily life, you know, instead of a grief ritual once a year or, mm -hmm. or whatnot, is just in daily life, um, is through my Qigong practice. So, and Qigong talks about that a lot in terms of uh, there's sound healing, you know, there's chanting that you can do to, so we tend to hold grief in the traditional Chinese medicine and Qigong models is we hold grief in our lungs. I mean, it makes sense even sure from does. A, yeah. anatomy too, right? Is mm -hmm. when we cry, we're actually crying and releasing, right, from our airways and through, yeah, through our tear ducts and things. And so, and then what, what's inside the, the lungs is the heart, right? So we open, uh, literally our heart sits, sits yeah. inside our lungs. And so the, the way to begin to transform and release and thaw out, you know, in Qigong, we talk about stagnation. So the energy is stuck, you know, literally the grief and the tears are stuck in our lungs. Well, you know what, there are ways to open up the lungs. And then also the heart and the lungs are so closely related that, you know, when we actually begin to open up our heart as well, that energy radiates out. And literally the, the energy of the heart is fire. So it melts, right? The water that is, or the ice maybe, that is stuck and stagnant in our lungs. And then those are beautiful practices. And I often hear, because now I, you know, I'm a certified teacher and I guide groups and people will say things, and I've had the experience myself too, where like during a Qigong practice, like tears are just coming out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no emotion actually even attached to it, but it's just a cathartic release and the body is releasing something and we don't even have to know what it is. So that's a very common experience. And it sounds like, I don't know, you're saying, yeah, and maybe you've experienced it yourself or witnessed it yourself. So that's something we can do every day. And that's accessible to anyone, yeah. anywhere. It's free. There are all these resources on YouTube. I mean, so. Yes. Right. We don't have to be super elaborate and travel afar to begin to transform and release the grief from our bodies. I'm glad you said that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that people really replay what you just said in this last piece and really have it sink in. Because when you were describing to me, I, unfortunately, when I, I had the same experience when I talked to you last year on the podcast, I... I visualize it as you're speaking about the heart and the lungs and water and the heat. And I'm like, oh, I, I mean, it's just very physical. And mm -hmm. I think about when we can feel, what was that thing you said uh, last year? You can't heal what you can't feel. Or, or what you're not connected to. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's the opening of the gates, you know. So are you ready to open this up and to pay attention and let your body help? you know, listen to it and what it needs. And, you know, kind of this, this great relationship between the earth and yourself, you know, the, the realization that we're, it's all connected it's there for us. Yes. I think it's so powerful. And I, I can keep talking about this and I know we're out of time, but it's like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about ancestral grief because that's such a whole, whole nother level that, you know, a lot of people probably don't want to go there or it's scary to go there, or I don't understand that or what, for whatever reason, but it's... Yeah, the ancestral part, I would just say, you know, as we wrap this up, is we don't have to go into the ancestral trauma or grief. 
We don't have to know the stories. We don't, I mean, there are people who don't actually even know who their ancestors are. Right. So we don't have to go there. We go within. It's already within us, you know, right. Right. the genetics that it's, it's wrapped in our, how, how we are expressed as well. So when we release trauma, when we release grief, same thing, and we're repatterning our genes, we're working with ancestral grief as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, we don't have to make it so complex. I'm going to end the something that you said in your book, Brave New Medicine, and that was the importance of bringing grief out of the shadows and remembering your humanity. Mm-hmm. There's something about bringing grief out of the shadows and remembering your humanity. Just that piece is, for me at least, it was profound. Because I think if we want to fit grief into a box, you can't, you can't, it's, it can't fit in a box. It's not meant to fit into a box. And so taking it out of the shadows, what else is there, you know, or maybe not even like you said, necessarily knowing is go with the, the movement of what is occurring. And have you ever seen the face of someone who has truly just finished grieving? I mean, they're glowing, you know? Yes. Yes. It's incredible. It's really incredible. So you know, we, we've made it into some kind of horror movie in our culture. <laughs> yeah. is, you know, one thing that Francis Weller said, because, you know, in the, uh, in the grief ritual, I broke down during the introductions. You know, I wasn't, it hadn't even begun and I had broken down and I felt like I was kind of failing. I mean, you know, that's just the, the inner judge, you know, that was so strong in me. And uh, he said, you know, there's nothing as authentic as someone who's grieving. You know, because we're not, we can't be self-conscious anymore. We can't be, you know, we're just undone. So it goes back to just that closing quote that you were saying about the humanity. It's just, there's a beauty in it. You know, there's a radiance in it. Mm-hmm. Can we, you know, and, and this is an invitation. Can you, can the listener, can all of us bear witness to that? Sometimes it's the beauty that we're afraid of. You know, the radiance yeah. can be really intense. And are you ready? Are you ready for that? I feel like I want to leave that hanging there to end this. That's so great. Thank you so, so very much for saying yes to this another podcast around a very important topic in times that I think more than ever we're grieving and we're hurting. So I appreciate it. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation. Also, for our listeners out there, if you haven't listened to our conversation that we had, it was like later last November or December last year, go to wellnesswithin.org and go on to our podcast series and check it out and listen. It's it's a phenomenal conversation. It will get you inspired to want to check out online some Qigong practices, guaranteed. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me here. And thank you listeners for tuning in. And until the next time, y'all take care of yourselves. Bye.